Hey friends, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Shannon Leibold, and I'm here with my co-host Lynn Martin, and we're so glad you've joined us. This is a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel and beyond. It's a space where we celebrate how God is turning brokenness into beauty. Each week, we chat with a guest and share stories from our own lives. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece, His work of art, and He's shaping us into something beautiful in Christ. Welcome to episode 31 of the Mosaic Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn. And I'm Shannon. And we are, again, just thrilled and humbled at the same time that you are taking time out of your day to listen to us talk to each other. And hopefully we make sense (laughs) as we go along. We are... um, Excited to have another full episode with you again today. We are going to continue on in our book that we are talking about, Fix Your Eyes by Amy Gannett. And we have special guest Diane Reed joining us a little bit later. You're going to uh, so be um, touched by what she has to share with us. And of course, we have our teaching and, and um, art piece as well. So That whole idea of mosaic, meeting one another in story, in art, and in Christ. And so we are just so excited to have you along. Before we kind of dig into the book, though, we want to share something fun. Shannon has some exciting news that she wants to share that we want to just um, be excited with her about that. So Shannon, do you want to tell us about that? Sure. Um, So after five years of working in the office at Foundation Christian School, I have handed in my resignation. And um, it's just been an, an amazing place to work with amazing people, and I've loved every minute of it, and I'm really going to miss it. Um, but I've just sensed the Lord um, increasingly calling me to focus more of my time and energy on writing Bible studies and and teaching God's Word and speaking. It's always been something I've done on the side. And in the last six months, I mean, I could tell you story after story of God just confirming it over and over again that He wants me to take this leap of faith. And so it's super exciting and super scary all at the same time. I'm um, in the process of, of developing a new website and just making Bible study resources available on that website. Can you tell us your website name again? Yeah, so the ministry is called Scripture and Story, and um, it's I think it's going to be scriptureandstory.ca or .com, I'm not sure. So search um, both of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm coming to God in faith and just asking that he would take, you know, my meager loaves and fishes and multiply them and and use them to bless other women. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do. So it's that whole unknown. Yeah. You don't know what's coming next. You've had, is it five years you said that you were at Foundation? Yeah. So five years of routine that you've known and now you're stepping out into this. And so we're excited for you. Thank you. And I know that it is not without a little bit of trepidation. A lot. (laughs) A lot of trepidation. But we're excited to just have front seat access to see what happens in the Mm -hmm. coming months and years, maybe. Yeah, thank you. That's very exciting. Thank you. So um, 
it just dovetails, I think, so much into what we're going to talk about today. Just thinking about how um, we're, we're talking about doctrine, theology, the study of God, how the study of God shapes our worship of him. And, and Shannon sharing that, what she's doing, that is an example of how God is working in her life and leading her in, in this way. And so um, we're, we're going to jump into the book now. We have already talked about, if you have listened in already before, we've talked about theology proper, um, some of the attributes of God, who he is, um, and looked at that very, very um, surface level in a sense that we could have dug deeper into any one of those attributes, but we've touched on some of them. Last time we talked about the Trinity, which is a hard, <laughs> hard doctrine to understand. And um, I know we have not at all done that justice. And uh, hopefully, like us, you have been thinking about it and um, just going deeper with that. And now today, we are going into Christology, which is looking at God incarnate, talking about Jesus as man, God becoming man. And this one, I feel like, is in danger of, we think we understand this one so well because we hear about it, we talk about it, we celebrate Christmas, Jesus becoming like a baby in the manger and him coming and living amongst us. We know this. We know this hardcore. And yet, do we really? Hmm. Um, so, Shannon, do you want to share anything that jumped out with you in here or where... Yeah, I guess just to start, the the whole doctrine of the incarnation is amazing to me. And it reminds me of um, John 1.14 where it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And just that idea that we, we couldn't know God fully, and so God became man to dwell among us so that we could know him. And there's a quote from Athanasius at the beginning of this chapter that says, for of what use is existence to the creature if it cannot know its maker? And I just think, yeah, that's true. I mean, we would, we would be purposeless, you know, if we didn't know who our maker was. And, and God knew that if we were to ever fully know him, he would have to come to us. He would have to become like us. And that is the greatest gift. It's the greatest gift because Christ came and then he shows us who the Father is because we've seen the Father when we see Christ. So when you stop and think about it, it's amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, it's interesting because, like I said, we've. this is something we know. If you've been to church at all, if you've been to Sunday school, you you know about Jesus, the the Son of God coming to earth. But do we know how much of a struggle this has been down through the centuries to wrap our minds around this? Mm -hmm. Our um, the early church struggled very much to to understand this. Does what does it mean to be fully God and fully man? Mm -hmm. That is. That, that boggles our mind. How can God become man? He's, he's entering into something that seems beyond him. Mm-hmm. We can't answer all those questions because we can't understand them. But we do believe 
that he was fully God and he was fully man. He is fully God. He is fully man. Yeah. Not 50% God, 50% right. man, 100% both. Right. And I think that is really important. Um, even if we don't understand it, we need to know that's true. Because mm-hmm. if we don't know that is truth, that changes how we look at everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, so like she says in the book here, with every ounce of divinity in tow, he came in the form that we could best understand in our very form, a body just like ours that we might truly know him. Mm-hmm. In Jesus, we know the rush of the loving father to our side as his incarnated son assures us, I am right here, the fullness of God's glory and the entirety of God's presence here with us, for us, bringing us salvation it's just amazing. It is. It's amazing. And it's interesting, as we look at this and go a little deeper, I think it's really easy to say, why does this matter so much? Mm-hmm. Why, why is this so important? Um, and, and the world that Jesus entered at that time, it was very much thought that man, the flesh, was evil. Mm-hmm. That was like the general belief. Through That was the philosophy that was pervasive throughout the culture. Uh, and that is something that we still have in our culture today. We, we, have, we have that danger of thinking, oh, my, body is, my body is weakening. We try to improve our bodies all the time. We, we don't succeed because we all eventually die, <laughs> right? The flesh is deteriorating. It just is. But we separate the physical from the spiritual. We have our Sunday face and we have our Monday morning face. And unfortunately, they're not always the same. Mm-hmm. And, and this is partly why it's so important that Jesus became man. Because that blew all of that right out of the water. Mm-hmm. It took people a long time to come to terms with that. Mm-hmm. But this was a radical, radical thing. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but no other major world religion boasts that their God became man exactly. and dwelt among them. So, yeah, yeah this, is, this is new, and it, it's startling. It's startling, and it's funny because I, have, I think I've often thought it must have been easier back in, you know, the Roman days because Jesus had just been there. And then he had died. Like there were people who had met him and seen him. And it must have been so much easier to understand the Christian faith. But instead, actually, it must have been so hard because they were actually put, come, putting into words these ideas that were not in words mm-hmm. yet. They didn't have, I mean, they had the scriptures. That's what they had. And those scriptures were not even, they had the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the New Testament. So how did they bring, they had to bring this all together, put into words a brand new faith that no one could comprehend. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and in addition to that, he came against their expectations. Yes. They were expecting a conquering king. You know, as the prophets foretold, we know now that, that the prophets talked about, you know, the first coming and the second coming of Christ, but they saw it all as one. Yep. And so they, they thought a conquering king was going to come and free them from the Romans. Um, so he came completely differently than what they expected. So that, and that was the Jewish faith, like the Jewish people. Yeah. The rest of the world... They didn't even have that expectation. Right. They had no expectation of anything, and and they had their own set of r- religious gods that they worshipped. This went against all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I was reading in a different book that was talking about this whole idea and this idea of explaining Christianity and what it is. And even a century after Christ had been on the earth, a century, a hundred years, um, the very first mention of Christianity by a non-Christian writer, his name was Pliny, and he dismissed it as a depraved foreign cult carried to extravagant lengths. Why am I telling you that? Because this was not thought of as anything good mm-hmm. <laughs> to the world at large at that time. Just like it's not really thought of as anything good to the world at large today. Mm-hmm. And so we have something really unique and really precious in this faith. And it wasn't easier to talk about then mm-hmm. than it is now. Yeah. But it's important. It is. It's, it's life-changing. It's everything. It is. Yeah, the incarnation is is means everything to the Christian faith. What really struck me too in the book was was the way she talked about the ascended Christ. Listen to this. She says, "We are ready to forget that the Christ who was incarnated at the beginning of the book of John lived and died and rose again throughout the book of John and ascended to heaven at the end of the book of John is still incarnated today." In the presence of the Father, the Son of God remains in his resurrected human flesh, taking his physical body into the presence of God for all eternity. It means that in the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity became fully, irreversibly, and eternally enfleshed. So that's a wild thought to think that, you know, Christ was given his glorified body when he was resurrected, and he still lives in bodily form in heaven Mm -hmm. at the right hand of the father and so that idea that flesh is bad it's not true no and he destroyed that idea yeah if you believe in christ you can't believe in the evilness of the flesh because christ can't live in evil um it is so powerful and and it like i said before we take it so lightly like it's not that big of a deal but we understand God better because he came in flesh Mm -hmm. and we couldn't, it would be too far away, too far removed to think of this God that we can't see or touch or anything that he came to earth to make himself known to us is the greatest gift Mm -hmm. that we could ever have. Yeah. And, you know, so we ask, what does this all mean for us? And I think a, a big thing that we we need to really sit and think about is that Christ's embodiment um, motivates us to embodied ministry. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, she says, our culture grows more and more delighted in disembodiment through online communities, through um, diets. We insist, you know, on taking up less space in the world through uh, technical advances that help us avoid human interactions when simply going to the grocery store, we as Christians have the distinct opportunity to embrace God's good gift of embodiment. So, so Christ set the example. He came in bodily form, and now we are the body of Christ. That's the beautiful part. We are the body of Christ, and we, we go out and we minister to people. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, serving them, loving them, and we are embodiment. And I think I think we just need to push back against this culture that that says that online communities and online interactions is 
is is the best we can offer of oh. ourselves. It's not. You're we need preaching to, to the choir here. <laughs> we need to look into each other's eyes. Yeah. We need to hold each other's hands. We need to hug yeah. each other and and walk through life together. That's what it means to be embodied. Yeah. Because it is so easy to sit at home and have your computer screen up in front of you and feel like you are in some measure in some kind of a community. And, and I don't mean to condemn that and... And in some cases, maybe that's all that is available. You know, like there are amazing things that can be happening through through the computer. But we have to be so careful because it's it's it is hands and feet. It's physical touch. It's getting in touch with each other and Mm -hmm. and caring about people. Um, It's that whole discussion. We spent a whole book on that talking about community. It's that again. Mm -hmm. It's it's that whole idea of the importance of it and that as the church that's what we need to be doing yeah this whole idea again comes back to this this dualism that it's called where we we talk about you know there are things that are spiritual and there are things that are secular those two things there aren't really two separate things there's no such thing as well I'm turning off my spiritual self and it's okay. I'm going to just watch this TV show. No, you are. God is living in you because he has chosen us to be his hands and feet. He's working through us. And that means that we are the temple of God now. And that is all the time. You don't get to take take that off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, she ends this section on Christology by by saying that there's one important aspect that we need to think about um, when we apply this doctrine. And we can apply it in a thousand different ways, but she says, I believe a vibrant theology of the incarnation has far-reaching ramifications for us in one particular arena, and one that the Western Church has long wrestled with, a theology of suffering. Mm. And the idea that, that Christ came in a body, became man, not to save us from every suffering in our bodies, but to save us eternally through suffering in his. And and there's, you know, the great mystery. We're not saved from suffering just as Christ wasn't, but but we are saved eternally through his suffering. And and that's that's the beauty of the doctrine of the incarnation. And so we don't need to be afraid of suffering and think that something's happening to us that is outside of God's plan. Suffering is a reality on earth, and and yet Christ came. He became man not to save us from that suffering, but to save us through suffering and mm-hmm. his suffering. And the other thing that goes along with that is that she says, anytime we look at our bodies with disdain at their very humanity, we reveal an impo- impoverished theology of the incarnation. So it is wrong for us to um, think that our body's evil, that there's that, that we are this soul trapped inside this prison cell waiting to break free. That is not godly. And we have to be so careful and, and we have blind spots that we... We don't understand everything, you know, we, we mirror things through our culture, like that's just the nature of life, that's what happens. But we have to keep in mind that there are truths and they are found in scripture that 
are not what the world says. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. One of her um, closing paragraphs, I just love it. She says, the work of ministry on this side of the resurrection is to be the physical presence of God in this world. Our theology of the incarnation touches down in our lives of discipleship and worship as we live into Christ's commissioning that sends us into the earth to bear his presence as his body to the lost world yet apart from him. And we will not be surprised to find that it is an embodied ministry. Mm-hmm. So where there is hurt, we tend wounds. Where there is weakness, we treasure, guard, and keep. And wherever there is sickness, we nourish and nurse back to health, Lord willing. So that's the commission that God has left us with. We are to be his hands and feet. So much there. We hope that something has tweaked something in your mind here and caused you to just say, wait, what are they saying there? And hopefully you just want to dig a little deeper and think about this Christ that we we worship and love and serve, That the fact that he became human being, man, to... To save us is is the hugest thing that we could have imagined. Well, we are so excited to have on the show with us today, Diane Reed. Diane uh, and her husband Bruce make their home here at. Um, Wallenstein and um, they live in Elmira. We've, if you're paying attention, we've already interviewed their one daughter, Jen, and they have another daughter as well. Um, maybe we'll have her one of these days too. But for today, Diane, we're so happy to have you. Um, and yeah, um, other than that basic skeleton of a biography, what could you, what would you like to tell us about yourself? <laughs> well, yes, I have two daughters, Jen and Bev. Um, and Bruce and I have been married nearly 44 years. Wow. wow. Yeah, we're getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an only child to a very lively 90-year-old mother. And I have the privilege of serving on the board of directors for Wildwood Bible Camps. So that's nice. a little bit about us. That's very... That, that That's a lot of many things probably mm-hmm. going on. And I know there's other things, too, that you are involved in. So that's... Um, I know you have a very busy life. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about theology in this podcast series. And um, we've been talking about the fact that theology at its core is simply thoughts and conversations about God. And A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Have you ever considered this, Diane? And, And what do you think this means? Well, it's interesting because when we did our precept study this year, we were studying Job. And when I read this question, I thought about what God had to say about Job's friends. And he says, I am angry with you for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Mm. Job did. Mm. So how we think about God is what comes out of our mouth and our actions and God hates it when we misrepresent him. That's sobering, isn't it? It is. Wow. Yeah. And we know God was not happy with Job's friends at all. (laughs) That's very, very sobering. Wow. 
Well, so we, we tread on this topic very, very, very reverently, and hopefully we don't. And we are praying that we don't say anything that um, is inaccurate. But, but Diane, as you think about God's character, and, and I know you have, um, and, and you have a very deep relationship with him, what is your favorite aspect, um, and why does it mean so much to you? It's interesting. I find that the aspect that's the favorite changes in mm-hmm. my seasons of, of course, life. For sure. Yeah. But right now, what God's just been pressing so deeply into me is the depth of his love. I was thinking, you know, as those who grow up in Christian families, we grow up singing beautiful songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know mm-hmm. for the Bible tells me so. And as a kid, we're excited to. But as an adult, we kind of get to the point where we're really saying, of course Jesus loves me because the Bible says so. And we become casual about our love for God and his love for us. And he's just been impressing me that, you know, the reality is this is holy God, creator of the universe. And he can do anything he pleases, lavish his love on anyone he pleases, and he chooses me and he lavishes his love and he just wants relationship with me. Mm. And I'm finding that just overwhelming and awe. Mm. Mm. That's lovely. I think we can always go deeper in our, in our understanding of God's love for us. Mm-hmm. And, and when he reveals, you know, kind of peels back the layers and reveals more and more of how much he loves us, it's, it's mm. amazing. Well, and we're very good at rationalizing, and I think that's why we get casual about it, because we allow things into our lives that we know probably don't please God, but of course God loves us, and we Mm -hmm. rationalize. And it's where sort of the fear of the Lord meets the love of God, and you have Mm. to put the two together. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so interesting that you're saying this, because we were just talking earlier, as we're going through this book, Fix Your Eyes, we were talking about the incarnation of God, so Christ coming to earth, and how it's something we think we know so well, kind of like singing the Jesus Loves Me Sunday School song, right? And that it becomes so just commonplace and and yet it's the most profound thing mm-hmm. and yeah god of the the god of the universe loves you loves me yeah. it's amazing and that he pursues us like he he mm-hmm. wants his kids back as doug, doug loveday loved to say right. he pursues us mm-hmm. it's i don't understand that <laughs> humanly i cannot yeah. understand that but that's just the that's, awesome love of god it is how does your view of god impact your daily life It has come to give me the freedom to be who he created me to be. And that my life looks different than a lot of people my age is okay. I have Mm. two beautiful single daughters. Most of my friends have grandchildren and, and children married in that. God has not done that in their lives. That's nothing wrong. That's God's good plan for them. Yeah. But it's okay if God's plan for you is different than somebody else's. And by knowing who God is and how much he loves me and how much he loves my kids gives me the freedom to be exactly who he created me to be Mm -hmm. and where he's placed me. It's interesting because the sermon on Sunday, Gary said Mm -hmm. that he talked about the gift of singleness. And I thought, what a beautiful beautiful way to explain it and yeah. and it's not you're not being cursed by being single no. it's a gift yeah. wow 
Has there been a, a time where you have um, misunderstood something about God? How did that impact you? And, and what can happen when we have an incorrect view of God? So I was thinking through this when I realized I had probably come at some point to a relationship, sort of a cause and effect, a relationship with God where if I'm good and obey you, you're going to do something good for me that I think is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of like the, the child who, you know, clean your room and you get a gold star. Yeah. And you get that kind of a relationship, which is a wrong one, thinking of God. But I realized that was what was at the heart of when I struggled with my dad's Parkinson's when he was in his 40s, getting getting Parkinson's and then being pushed two years ahead from a surgery failure. And I really struggled that God allowed that to someone who served him. That didn't make sense of the, if yeah. I obey and serve mm -hmm. you, good yeah. things. Um, I struggled with it probably... 10, 20 years ago with, with my daughters being single. Mm. I was um, very good at telling God what he should be doing. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but to come and understand who God is properly, to understand his sovereignty, to understand he is good regardless of circumstances, mm -hmm. that he is always good and always has good plans for us. Mm -hmm. It's a dangerous thing when we view God through our circumstances because mm -hmm. then our, our perception of who he is, it, it's skewed because... Yeah. And it uh, rides our emotions so much, too. Yes, yes. But it is so hard to distinguish sometimes, don't yeah. you think? Because Because we are driven by our emotions, our passions, yeah. and... and we can, and, and, and we, I think our culture doesn't allow for us to look at truth because truth is so ambiguous in our culture. So really the only truth is what I feel. Like that's yeah, what our exactly. culture tells us. So we are really countercultural by saying, don't rely on your feelings, rely on God's truth. This is who he is. Yeah. These are, these are more and more revolutionary ideas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's where it's so important to go back to the theology of knowing who God is. Mm -hmm. For me, peace with the girls and with my dad came when I realized that God loves them more than I possibly can. Mm -hmm. As a mother, that's really hard to grasp your head around because we yeah. think we know what's best for our kids. We're pretty good at thinking yeah. that. And, um, <laughs> yeah. yes, we but are. God just impressed that. And, and when you accept that, comes the peace to relax mm -hmm. and to say, okay, God, you've got this. You've promised you've got this, in mm -hmm. fact. And uh, that he wants my obedience, not so he can give me things, but because I love him. Mm -hmm. And coming to that point has, well, it's taken a long time to get there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm a slow learner. It's a journey, isn't it? And it, it is. it's, and, and like you said, like the, the peeling things back, like it mm -hmm. takes time for that to happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We are not asking easy questions, are we? <laughs> it's a good thing you had some of these ahead of time. Yes. <laughs> oh, all of them. Um, but so uh, the next hard question is, can you think of a circumstance that you've gone through that has opened your eyes to a new aspect of God's character? I went back to when Bruce had his accident. Bruce was um, hit by a drunk driver in 2010. He was on a motorcycle and it was an SUV that hit him head on. And he was airlifted to Hamilton. 
and he would spend three months in hospital. What very few people knew was that neither Bev or I are good in hospitals. In fact, like we faint. Mm. <laughs> Poor Bev, when she was little, got her tonsils out and mother had to be taken out of the recovery <laughs> room. <laughs> so, we don't do well. But three months, God generously gave us the ability to be there. And mm. neither one of us had a problem during that mm. three months, including the first two weeks with Bruce intubated, hooked up to tubes, vials, everything. And um, God generously gives us his strength in the midst of really hard times. Mm. Not that he takes a hard time away, but he is generous in giving us these gifts in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. The other one was every night I had to, when I left Hamilton General, you would take an on-ramp onto the highway and immediately have to cross three lanes of traffic to get onto Highway 6 mm. to come back home. Did you come home every day? Yes, I drove back and forth every day. Wow. And um, usually would leave the hospital at 6 because I have trouble driving in the dark. So leave 6, nice traffic time. And I'd leave the parking garage and say, God, I just need a spot to get across. And... Um, in Bruce's four weeks down there every night, he gave me a spot to safely get across wow. and up. And it was just yeah, that's a, a generous area. gift from God that mm. was so precious, so tiny, but yeah. but very precious. Sometimes those tiny gifts are the most profound because they just feel so personal, yeah. don't they? And they remind us God's walking through it. Yes, it's hard, and it was a ter terribly hard time, but he was there, and, and he was providing these these things to help us through that. Mm -hmm. so. I love the passages in scripture that speak to God's generosity as being, you know, he, he lavishes from his storehouse of riches mm -hmm. and it's the, just that kind of overflowing generosity to us yeah. um, in the practical day-to-day -day stuff. It too. is. And we yeah. we tend to forget he does the day-to-day -day stuff with us. Mm -hmm. I had another one more recently, a young friend who I had to stay overnight with. She was a bit of crisis, and I'm allergic to cats. She has two. And I went saying, okay, God, you need me there. That's fine. So I laid down on the couch, which was the cat's home. Oh, wow. <laughs> one sat on the back of the couch, one on the arm of the couch looking at me, but my allergies did not trigger that that whole night. Wow. Didn't trigger when I came home. There was, you wouldn't have known I have allergies. God was good. Yeah. You know, and I'm trying to learn to open my eyes to see those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that They're is not coincidences, they're God working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And he's working all the time, but we don't always see it because we're so yeah. focused on something else and yeah. not noticing. Mm -hmm. So, Diane, we ask every guest to tell us a story about brokenness to beauty. So can you tell us about a time in your life when you have felt broken, but God has turned it into something beautiful? Well, there, I really prayed about this, what to share, and... There are two shattering events and they're related. So I'd, I'd like to share both just because they are related. About 30 years ago, a police officer knocked on my door and arrested me. And the reasons why are not that important. It's the instant that it happened. At that point, I was a mid-30s mom, Sunday school teacher, child of God. 
but I'd also become emotionally and physically involved outside my marriage. And God used that trigger of the arrest to shatter me totally because mm. suddenly I was face down before him and everything came out and confessed to God and confessed to Bruce, who God so graciously had prepared ahead of time to forgive me. And so that shattering was almost like God's hand pushing through the facade that I built up around me, this double life, and God shattered it through. And um, looking back, that's a blessing. He shattered me at mm -hmm. that point. And then about five years ago um, was my second shattering, and it was very different. It, I remember being... Yeah, the church building in the washroom and considering suicide seriously and going home and saying to Bruce I don't know what's wrong but something is very very wrong and I need help and the next day I was diagnosed with severe anxiety and depression but God used this shattering to through the help of a counselor and people praying to um, address my 25-year battle with the shame of my past mm. and with the shame for being for adultery with the 25 years of trying to act like people thought somebody should act to, to prove they're repentant mm. and 25 years of believing that God forgave me I had I believed that but I couldn't believe he would truly love me after what I'd done and how I'd sullied his name. And so that shattering was a time to rebuild those things. So the beauty. What's interesting, Bruce and I were talking about your theme, Mosaic, and we were talking how, you know, God shattered us both and he's put those pieces back together and he's the mortar in the piece mm -hmm. of art. And we are stronger than we would have been um, because hindsight's always great, you know, <laughs> isn't it? We look back and um, Doug Loveday talked about marriage not long ago about the biggest enemy to marriage is selfishness. Mm -hmm. And we realize we were both living very self-centered lives within our marriage and it was not healthy without what I had done, but add that mix, it was just a very unhealthy place to be. And God shattered that and it's rebuilt. And as I said, we're nearly 44 years. That's a wonderful blessing. But the other is that God has shown me the truth that he loves me lavishly. I'm his precious daughter. I'm an heir with his son. And in doing so, he's given me a heart for others who are out there thinking they don't deserve God's love or they're the part of the family that's hidden in the closet because they're not good enough to be part of the family. And my heart is to be here to say, yes, you are. In fact, your front row, God is so excited to see you come back to him. So, Isn't it fascinating how hard it is for us to forgive ourselves we can believe that God forgives us yeah. 
but to forgive ourselves yeah. it's like well no i need to i need to punish my and it's just another form yeah. of selfishness really because it's self-centered yeah. thinking about yeah. well and it's a strategy of the enemy too, for sure. to bring that shame Definitely. and to yeah. keep you imprisoned in yeah. that well, and interesting then that we've been doing this ladies' study on Tuesday night, which talks about Jesus coming to bring people from shame to a place of honor as yeah. his child. And, yeah. and that's my heart's desire for others who are struggling there is mm. lost in that. It has been a really good study, hasn't it? It has. Just mm. realizing how much Christ loved us. Yeah. Women, specifically, is what the study is talking about, but all ev- everyone, but... But yeah, he's not interested in leaving anyone in a place of shame. Diane, I know that your story will touch the hearts of many and just encourage them to, you know, seek help if they're in that place where where they're, you know, can't get past something and are full of shame. And, um, you know, we're all broken. We are. We're all broken. And... I love that on Gary's message Sunday. He made it he so clear. That, yeah. We are all broken yeah. in different ways, yeah. but we're all broken children who God is so excited when we come back. Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. And and there's another lie too, right? That we think, well, no, I'm broken, but nobody else is. Yeah. And and then we, we hide in that too. Mm-hmm. And so I want to say thank you too for sharing that and being willing to be vulnerable to to kind of shatter that mm-hmm. yeah. um, lie that is really pervasive, I think, in in the church, mm-hmm. especially. So we like to end every podcast with, <laughs> it's always hard to transition between the story and this. Well, and this has been really in-depth, and we're just like, oh, here we go. Uh, we like to end with a few rapid-fire questions for you about your favorite things. Okay. So, Diane, what is your favorite food? Homemade bread. Oh, made by you too. <laughs> I do make it, but yes, Any homemade fresh bread. out of the oven. Love that. A uh, favorite book. I wrote this one down because I was afraid of my favorite. <laughs> um, the one I've really enjoyed over the last couple of years, and I want to read it again, is by Kim Meter, and it's called "Encountering Our Wild God: Ways to Experience His Untamable Presence Every Day." And she talks about the nudges of the Holy Spirit and acting on them and not and seeing how God can use you in ex- everyday interactions with people. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I, I yeah. really love that. Just it brings an awareness that God is always at work in our lives. Yes, yes. I feel like that would be a great book to pre-read before we talk about the Holy Spirit next time. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna yeah for try to sure. tackle that one next time. All right, favorite worship song. Oh, that's a hard. That question. one's that's a hard, hard question. Um, it's got to be a hymn, and I bet you cannot just pick one. <laughs> Because He Lives probably is one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I was working on the Easter service the weekend Bruce was in his accident. Oh. I didn't end up playing that service, but I had prepared all the music, and I had been working on Because He Lives as a congregational yeah. number, and God just had put that all those words into my uh, heart as we were in ICU. Wow. So that wow. one's a favorite That's, to me. Yeah. That one, and... Um, he is stronger because 
it seemed like we sang it every week for the four or five weeks after Bruce was in the accident. So the girls and I would hear it here and then go to the hospital. Wow. That's another example of just the personal touch of yeah. God, isn't it? Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, Diane, thank you so much for coming and sharing your heart and your life with us. And uh, I know that your words will be a blessing and an encouragement to many. Yeah, thank you so much. We are on a journey this summer. We are on a journey as we read through Fix Your Eyes, and we are on a journey as we do our art piece. And as you know, if you've been listening in, we have been looking at the architecture of the church. The art, it is, it's it's a piece of art when you look at um, the way churches have been built and how they've been designed. And so far we've looked at some of the outer aspects of of a church or cathedral building and today we're going to go inside but we're only going inside to look at a uh, at actually a painting now do you have paintings in your church shannon which is also my church no we don't see very many <laughs> we don't have paintings anymore and we can we can thank or we can curse um our history for that and there was a period of time where it was very strongly felt that um, these paintings and um, other different symbols in the church were too iconic too too much um, they were concerned that it was idolatry to have these pictures and other items and so they they were basically eradicated from evangelical churches and um, like a lot of things there's good in that and there's some things that are really sad about that because many of us are visual learners, not least of which um, children who can't read at all, they learn from pictures long before they they learn to read. So I have a picture here and if you are um, interested, I would encourage you to pause the podcast and go on to our our show notes and and click on the link to have a look at this painting. Shannon's going to describe it for us right now. So it's a, a painting of Jesus who is seated and uh, there are there are children around them him and he's got his arms around them holding one's hand and it just reminds me of that passage in scripture where um, you know his disciples were were saying you know don't don't let the little children come but jesus said no let the little children come to me and that is exactly what this picture is representing this is actually a series of 23 paintings that were commissioned to go in king's chapel at fredericksburg palace in denmark this painting was done by carl heinrich block in the 1800s and what do you think of it does it like it's um you look at these faces and do any of them, are you drawn to any of them particularly, Shannon? I think the face of the little boy looking at Jesus. Um, yeah, he just, I. It, it looks like the children are just comfortable being with him. Really comfortable. And, and a longing almost, yeah. would you say, in their eyes? Yeah. Um, and even Jesus' face, he's not angry with the disciples, or we see one disciple there at this point, but um, 
he's also not happy with him. No. <laughs> um, when I look at this painting, I'm actually really drawn to the, the... There's a woman, and we can only see the lower part of her face. And I don't know really what she's thinking, but to me, that face looks smug, like... I'm on this side of Jesus, and you're not getting near me, Mr. Disciple, whoever you are. Probably Peter. <laughs> but um, what, a, what a beautiful painting. I love this painting. And we just finished um, at church. We just did a, a study, Jesus and Women. And through that study, we learned a lot about how well Jesus treated the women and, and children. And this painting just shows that even more so i thought what a perfect painting to showcase when we're talking about the incarnate christ this this was he was fully man and he had something to teach and he had something to share and he did that so well During our teaching time for this podcast series, we are focusing on stories. And today we're going to talk about Narnia. I bet many of you have heard the Narnia stories as a kid, and, and maybe if you have children of your own, you've you've shared these stories with them. We have Narnia on audio CD, and so there was a, a period of time where we listened to it in the vehicle all the time, anytime we drove somewhere. Narnia is timeless. What is it about stories that make us remember much more than a list of facts? Well, stories, they captivate our imaginations and they leave a lasting imprint. We can visualize stories and we often get caught up in the emotion and the adventure of it. And as we listen, we often find ourselves in the story. This is true of Narnia. I want to just summarize uh, the storyline. So there's four siblings, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. They're evacuated from London during the Second World War, and they're sent to live with a professor in the English countryside. One day, Lucy discovers that one of the wardrobes in the house contains a portal through to another world, a land covered in snow. Soon after arriving there, she quite literally bumps into a fawn, which is a half-man, half-goat, named Mr. Tumnus, who takes her to his house and gives her tea while he tells her about the land she has wandered into. Its name is Narnia, and it is always winter, but never Christmas, ever since the White Witch cast a spell over the land. Indeed, Tumnus confesses to Lucy that he should report Lucy's presence in Narnia to the White Witch, but he can't bring himself to do it. Instead, he helps her find her way back to the portal so she can return home. When Lucy gets back and tells her three siblings about her adventure in Narnia, none of them believes her. Although Edmund, intrigued, follows her into the wardrobe when she goes back there and finds himself in Narnia, where he meets the White Witch. Edmund is enslaved by the evil white witch when he eats an enchanted candy called Turkish Delight. In a vain attempt to feed his craving, Edmund is willing to betray his brothers, brother and sisters to the white witch. Aslan meets with the witch and offers to die in place of the traitor to satisfy by some deep magic a requirement of ancient Narnian law. After suffering cruelty at the hands of the white witch and her followers, 
Aslan, who is the great lion, is killed on a large stone table. But at sunrise, Aslan comes back and appears, comes back to life and appears to Susan and Lucy. When Susan asks what it all means, he answers, It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. That phrase is about as concise a summary of the gospel message as one could hope for. The sacrifice of Aslan to break the power of the deep magic of the witch finds a historical, real-life parallel in the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not likely that you would read Narnia to your kids and then carefully explain all the parallels to the Christian story. Instead, you would tell them this captivating story, and as they grow in their understanding of the things of God, the Narnia story would help to open their eyes to the wonder of what Christ has done for them. This is the power of story. Well, I have to go read the Narnia books again now. (laughs) So thank you so much. I love Narnia books, and... I came to them late. I, I knew the first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, although I suppose some would argue that isn't the first. But um, I read the, the rest of them much later in life, and they are so profound. So let me just say that they are not just for children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you said, Shannon, thank you so much for that. Story is so powerful, and it, it stays with us in ways that um, just a string of facts doesn't have the power to do. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing with us, Shannon. We want to thank again Diane Reed for also sharing her heart with us. We have so continued to be blessed by these dear women who come and share with us. And we we know that that's been a treasure blessing for you as well. We're going to close in our prayer, which is even more um, profound, I think, today as we've spent this time talking about Jesus as coming as man so we will close by saying let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us fixing our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of Thank you for listening to the Mosaic Podcast, a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel, where we meet one another in story, in art, and in Christ. You can subscribe by going on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast so that you will be notified when the next show drops. 
Also, please be sure to check out our show notes for more details and join in the conversation on either Facebook at mosaic.podcast.wbc or on Instagram at mosaic.podcast. We pray that you will be inspired and encouraged as you travel your own personal journey from brokenness to beauty.